0: Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we have a super fun, packed show because we have Mr. Daniel Tolson in the sh- on the on, in the in studio, everybody. So, Dan, just want to say welcome to the Game Changers Experience.
1: Hey, g'day. Thanks for having me here. Truly appreciate it.
0: And, um, and just want to give you a little bit of a synopsis about Dan. Dan is a, a very experienced business consultant. He's worked with over 7,250 companies and individuals in and around the world, from Australia to Asia, to Europe, to North America and Canada. He's considered be the world's number one business coach that specializes specifically in emotional intelligence, which is a really interesting subject, by the way. He's also a former Australian wakeboarding champion and uh, extreme games competitor as well. So Dan, I'm just like super excited and super pumped about being today.
1: Well, uh, I I love sports and I love business and I think uh, it's a perfect winning combination when you can bring the sports psychology into the business field. It's a winning combination, so it's a true pleasure to be here with you also.
0: Awesome. And you know what? That's why I love bringing people like yourself in because... I mean, you have a really interesting background where you started off in wakeboarding right and and I love wakeboarding by the way i It took me months to master the board i always, i was you know when you when you first jump on the board right I, I remember we start off with kneeboarding right, and that was kind of like the beginner stages and I never when you go around on one of those um cable cars or the cables that go around, you hold onto the rope, and then suddenly right you, you you're kind of like zoom right? You, you're out of the, you're sitting on it. And just before it starts, it's just like such a big, like yank type of thing. And I never got it. I, I never got it quite right. And then it took me months and months and months. And I, I'm probably, it's probably the same for you or whatever it is, but I love kind of weightboarding and, and things like that. So that's all good. But listen, um, I want to kind of jump straight in if that's okay. Cause you went from weightboarding champion to business consultant in emotional intelligence, which are two completely different like subjects, I suppose, or areas of expertise. But can you give us a little bit of a backstory about how you made that transition and why emotional intelligence?
1: I was the Forrest Gump at my school. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When when I was growing up, uh, literally, I was running along and my legs just started to collapse. And my parents started to realize that there was a couple of physical blockages for me. So my hips were out of alignment. uh, My back was out of alignment and the hemispheres in the, in the cranium here, my brain, the platelets were pushing down on the hemispheres of the brain. And at age 11, I was just, I basically stopped. My mum said I came home one day and I collapsed on the floor. Mm. So from age 11 through to about age 15, I was in remedial therapy So when I was growing up, I had so many consultants, so many coaches and doctors around me bringing me back up to speed because Mm. I was that person who was left behind. So I'd always had a lot of attention. I had special needs class. Uh, They used to have these classes at school for gifted and talented students. Is that what it was? I never went in there. (laughs) It was gifted (laughs) and talented. I never got in there. And they used to put me in one called the Space Lab. And that was for the space cadets, (laughs) the kids who were off the planet. And for me, what I learned at this stage was that um, there was people who could help you achieve success. It didn't matter how far behind you were. If you found the right person to help you get ahead, you could get there really fast. So some of the things that were happening in my life was I was tone deaf. I could not hear the difference between tones. I could play guitar, but I couldn't differentiate between the notes on the guitar. Everything sounded the same. Wow. So I had these major impairments. I would look at the board, and I could see the board. I just couldn't see the right things in the right order. And I'd look at the board, and I'd write something on the page, and nothing made sense. So my eyes in the hemispheres of my brain weren't connected correctly. So I was having all these problems. So I got into sports and probably about the age of 16, I was out doing a lot of wakeboarding and we were interviewed by a water skiers magazine, one of the top ones in the country. And they asked my brother, what is Daniel's special skill? They said, he's a phenomenal coach. And at age 16, I could look at a trick and I could teach somebody else how to do a trick that I had never done myself. Oh, And people would oh. come to me, world champions, would come to me and say, how do I do this? Well, do these three things. And if that doesn't work, do this. And all these people were learning quickly. So I started coaching at age uh, 16. And then from there, I was in business. And uh, my mum was in porn. Okay. <laughs> my dad was in porn. <laughs> okay. And we owned a porn shop. And we we would buy and sell secondhand goods. Oh, right. You <laughs> we mean like gold and things golden. like this? Old and secondhand goods. So we had a pawnbroking business. And so I always knew a lot about business. And then from there, we started a clothing company. We had a very successful clothing company and we represented our own brand. And then from there, I started working with Emirates Airline. And that's where my formal coaching career began. Wow. And so it's been a long journey of 24 years.
0: Wow, that's, that's, that's a long, 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 long time to... to and it's, And you know, it's interesting... You, you mentioned about you were coaching experts, wakeboarding uh, athletes and stuff like to do these awesome news. I, I I would love to have the opportunity to be able to do like these flips and these like turns and stuff like that. You know, I just I'm like fascinated. I'm thinking how in the how in God's name do you end up doing one of those? But I guess you found it super easy.
1: One, one I, I had a very... We'll call it a smart-ass comment. That's what we call it in (laughs) Australia. A very smart-ass comment on the internet. And somebody said, those who can't play become coaches. And it was a dig at the coaching, uh, people who are coaches. But what I've realized is the best coaches in the world have never played the game. Mm -hmm. See, the coach sits out and looks down on the game at a 40,000-foot view and gives ideas to the expert on how to become better. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about this over the years, and I thought to myself, does the pilot, have to build the aircraft? No, he doesn't. He's the expert at flying it. But there's engineers who are experts in building it. Does the doctor have to run the hospital? No, the surgeon is the expert at brain surgery. And the people who are experts in business, they build the business. So there's always a coach and there's always a player in everything. And uh, Jay Conrad Levinson, in his best-selling book Guerrilla Marketing, said all world champions have a coach. So when I meet people who want to coach with me, I know these people intend to be world champions.
0: Yeah, and I love that. That's that's a great connotation. And if it's good enough for athletes, right, if it's good enough for Olympic winning athletes or sports celebrities or whatever it is, it's good enough for all of us that's listening in, by the way, guys, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> so I know that we're kind of going through some economic challenges around the world, right? And I mean, you guys know that what I'm talking about without going into too much depth. But Dan, I wanted to kind of really go into a little bit more depth around what people are feeling right now in terms of what, what fears, what are the most common fears that people are feeling right now. And you know, I just wanted to explore that a little bit. And, you know, because I I think there's a lot of people that, you know, are suffering from fear right now and paralysis. And when they suffer from fear and paralysis, what that does is it, it holds people back and, and it and it literally, you know, all the bad habits of procrastination and things like that kicks in. But let's explore that a little bit.
1: Future intent determines present action. And mm. it's one that everybody should write down and stick on their fridge. Future intent determines present action. As we come into the crisis and we're in this state of lockdown, all of our future goals, all those things that we're aspiring for in the future have just been wiped off the face of the earth. Now, if future intent determines present action, if there's nothing in the future, why would you take action? Right. And so at the moment, all of people's dreams, goals, their aspirations have been totally wiped out. And so what happens in the moment now, because what happens, we generate behaviors based on the pictures we have in our mind. If I have no future, that means I'm dead. Mm. There is no future. There's nothing to live for. So as we go through COVID-19, the first thing that is stripped away, in my opinion, are these have goals. I want to have this beautiful big house. I want to have the million dollar business. I want to drive the half a million dollar car. Can't get it at the moment for the majority of people. So that disappears. That doesn't exist. Also, the do goals. I want to do some travel. I want to go to Thailand. I want to go to Taiwan. I want to go to Australia. Can't do it. You're on lockdown. That doesn't exist. So what's happening now, people are realizing that you have to have a have goal. And people are asking themselves, well, what can I have? But now it's got to come within. Mm. So I have to become somebody now. So people now are looking towards themselves. And what I've been seeing, Adam, is people have been sitting at home for three and six and nine months for some people if we're incorporating China. Right. And they're looking in the mirror and they're saying, I don't like what I see Mm -hmm. when I look in the mirror. And so they're saying, well, who do I now need to become to achieve my future goals. So we've all got a blank slate and what comes with that is huge fears of the unknown because I'm looking out in the future and I can't get any certainty. I don't know what's happening a year from now. I don't know what's happening six weeks from now. I don't know what's happening six hours from now. So there's those levels of uncertainty which kick in those fears. And one of the fears that's kicking in right now is the fear of a loss of stability. Mm. I've built the million dollar business. I've got the quarter of a million dollar income. How long is it going to last? So the panic kicks in and people are feeling in a state of anxiety. So they're starting to watch too much TV. They're watching too much news. It's all doom and gloom. So what this picture in the mind is, is doom and gloom. And then the procrastination kicks in. Well, if it's going to be doom and gloom, I may as well just throw my hands up in the air. And Aussies have done this and we call it hibernation. (laughs) So these are some of the primal fears that are being elicited in people. And Mm. we've had 30, 40 years of really good stuff. Mm. A lot of our generation haven't had a bad year. It's the first time. And so this is where the emotional intelligence is important, where they've now got to develop resiliency. You know, it's an interesting connotation.
0: But but what I, I kind of would be really fascinated is... We, we, you talked about procrastination, you talked about um, paralysis, because that's what most people are just kind of just accept, you know, you just need to accept, right? What is what it is, what it is, you can't control what is happening around the world. And I think that as a, even, even as we speak right now, and people are listening to this, uh, to this show, is that there are people still listening and still in denial of moving forwards, right? You know, so I I probably have calls on a daily basis with people that are saying, I still don't know what to do, Adam. What is, what, what, what is the strategy? What is the game plan? I, I just don't know. I can't get my head around it. But let's talk about the game plan, Dan, because there, is there a particular game plan that people need to have right now
1: in order to try and move forward? It's dealing with grief. Mm. What we're going through now is the grief cycle. Mm. And there's five stages in the grief cycle. And you hit the nail on the head there. The first stage of the grief cycle is denial. So in December last year, we get these messages from China, COVID-19. Ah, it's the China virus. What did the Aussies say? We're a big island in the Pacific. It's never going to get here. What did the Brits say? Ah, that's the China virus on the other side of the world.
0: Exactly the same.
1: (laughs) And the rest of the world lived in denial whilst China was welding their doors shut. Yep. What we started to see was this COVID-19 started to spread around the world. Mm. And the second stage of the grief cycle is anger. And we saw it on the British news. We saw it on the Australian news. People are fighting over bog roll. That's what you call it in the UK, bog roll. (laughs) They're fighting over (laughs) toilet paper. And people are going, these people are going nuts. Yes, that's anger. And that's the second stage of the grief cycle. So the game plan is it's managing grief. Now, the third stage of the grief cycle is blame. Donald Trump, it's the China virus. (laughs) So who do we blame? We try to blame it on somebody else, but we're still not taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. So as we try to blame somebody else for something that's happening in our lives, we actually are not taking responsibility and we push cause or the locus of control outside of us. And as we push the cause outside of us, the locus control, we start to feel stress and unhappiness because we're trying to pin the blame on somebody else. The fourth stage of the grief cycle is depression. And see, what's happening now is people are depressed, they're sad, they're grieving the loss of the future. As I mentioned before, the be, the do goals have just been wiped off the planet and they're grieving that, atom. They're grieving over something That never happened. Imagine that. They're sad and depressed about a future that they'll never be able to obtain. It was never promised, but they're now depressed about the future. Right. And so what happens is in this depression cycle, if you're a business owner, if you're a high performer, if you're an employee and you're feeling sadness and depression is just an extended form of sadness, is that the other people around you are going to be equally affected by that emotion of sadness. It becomes contagious and it hurts others. But the interesting thing is that there's a lot of anger inside of sadness. Mm. So they get angry and they're sad. But the only way to move forward, and this is the game plan, mm. is you have to get to the stage of acceptance. The moment that you accept that COVID-19 is here, if you can accept that it's closing down countries, and if you can accept that you're going to have to pivot, that locus of control comes back, you get your confidence back and you're willing to get up and go again. Yeah, that's the game plan. That's the first thing that people have to attend to in yeah. my opinion.
0: That's a great. that's a, that's a really good uh, analogy. I, I like that. and by the way, I, i'm a, i'm a, I, I really dislike the word. Pivot, by the way. I just wanted to let you know, and, and most people know that. I, I just kind of say reinvent yourself, adapt to change. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So it, it's 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 no problem. You didn't you didn't know that, by the way. But um, no, that was a really good. Oh, I like I, the-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was writing notes reluctantly, and then as soon as you went into the word pivot, I went <laughs> scribbled out. But it's all good. So <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about emotional intelligence because you're you're kind of tapping on a little bit anyway about emotional but what is your so-called definition of emotionally intelligence, and how do, can it be applied in the business world?
1: Street smart. When we grew up in the porn-broking business, my parents were farmers. Mm. My dad was born on a farm. He grew watermelons, potato and citrus. <laughs> my mum got married to a farmer and she moved to a farm. <laughs> they were uneducated people. Doesn't mean they're not smart. Mm. So for thousands of years, there's been people who are street smart. And what we've learned over the years is from the Greeks, for more than 2,000 years, the Greeks have been talking about know thyself. And emotional intelligence is understanding why you think and feel the way that you do. Mm. Emotional intelligence is understanding and appreciating your unique strengths. And it's also appreciating your weaknesses. Because if you can appreciate your weaknesses, then you can build a team around you who can compensate for that. See, with emotional intelligence, we talk about being street smart. But in my opinion, we live in a world of stupidity. People are overly educated and they're so bloody smart that they stop taking action. <laughs> Look, I've grown up in personal development. I love personal development. I preach personal development. I, I may as well begin a church of personal development. And people now use affirmations. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, I'm going to use these affirmations and they're going to change my life. And if I just be positive then my life will be good. And so I asked them, I say, if you're driving a BMW, it's a British car and it's a five series BMW and you're driving down the street and your tyre goes flat, I said, how good are your affirmations going to be? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter how you. much you like yourself. Doesn't matter how positive you are. If you've got a flat tyre, that vehicle is going to underperform. And see what happens with positivity comes stupidity. Well, I'm just going to pretend I don't have a weakness. I'm going to pretend I don't have it. I'm going to focus on my strengths. No, you have to appreciate your weakness. You have to understand what it is because the weakest link in the chain is where it always breaks. So emotional intelligence gets to look at ourself in five key areas. Self-awareness. Why do I think and feel the way that I do? Secondly, we have self-regulation. This is the ability to manage my emotional and mental state. See, some people get themselves in a mental and emotional rut and they can't get out. Their fears take over and then they procrastinate. But then they are so smart, they convince themselves that this business is not what I really wanted to do. Your intelligence is working against you now. We then have motivation. And we know the numbers. 80% of business is going to fail in the first two years. You're really not going to make any money until your seventh year. But If I'm prepared to double my rate of failure, if I'm prepared to move out of my comfort zone and if I can just keep my door open one day longer than my nearest competitor and he shuts down and I stay open, I'm going to win all the business. So motivation is about fuel in the tank. How much fuel do you have in your tank? How far can you go? We also have social awareness, really important. This is being able to look at somebody and understand how they think and feel without having to ask them. See, if you have to ask, it just proves that you don't know. But what happens is if you know, you become the automatic expert. And then finally, we have social regulation. And this is the ability to persuade people. It's the ability to get people to think differently in times of rapid change. I'm not going to say pivot. I'm going to say times of rapid change (laughs) because we have to be persuasive. And and this is emotional intelligence. And what we know is that people with a higher level of emotional intelligence are far more effective in business mm. because they become more resilient. They adapt, they adjust, they respond to change because they have emotional resiliency. It's not a game of intelligence anymore. It's not IQ that's going to get you through COVID-19 and the pandemic. It's going to be emotional intelligence.
0: Love it. That's good. Uh, I, I love the way that you've kind of wrapped you know, wrapped it into uh, you know into simplicity, saying which is so simplicity and and it and it and it really for me when I think of emotional intelligence, you know, I think that there's just so many confusing and conflicting definitions of what that actually means. Um, you know, and and I think that what you've done there is you really simplified it to make it really simple for our listeners. So just want to say thanks very much for that. I really appreciate it. Um what I was gonna say are there any examples? I mean, you've worked with businesses for the last 24 years and, you know, from Emirates Airlines uh, through to big Australian corporates and stuff like that. Have you, can you give me any, I suppose, business, any examples of how intelli- emotional intelligence can be applied in the business and entrepreneurial world?
1: Absolutely. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was about 2017, two very nice businessmen came to me and they said, Daniel, we've started our business. We've started our first business and we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) They said, we've got no idea. We've been salesmen our whole life, but now we've started a business. And I said, okay, and what's happening? They said, we're just working all the time. We get up in the morning, we check our phones, we go to bed at night, and it's like we're working from 6am to 12 midnight. And all we do is work. And now what's happening is we're afraid to take our foot off the pedal. And the key word was we're afraid to lose traction. Mm. That if we actually take a step back, if we delegate something to somebody else, it's going to collapse. Mm-hmm. They said we even have this thing, and they, they didn't say these words, but they basically said we feel like imposters. We have no idea how we got here. It just happened too easy. So again, we're afraid that if we stop, we might lose everything. Mm -hmm. So I started to work with them and they wanted to learn NLP. Now, I'm a big fan of NLP. Mm -hmm. But I said, you don't need to learn NLP. You've got to become more emotionally intelligent. I said, because you don't know your strengths. You're building a business around two people and you don't know what their strengths are. The person who was leading the business shouldn't have been leading the business. The person who was sitting out the back should have been out the front. So we started to look at how they dealt with problems and challenges. Every business has problems and challenges. The challenge is the leader who was leading at the time, he approached problems and challenges very aggressively. But who wants to be approached aggressively in business? It wasn't the right setup. And see, emotional intelligence says it's not about your IQ. It's about how you can approach these things. And that approach, that angle of attack wasn't appropriate. We then had a look at how they influenced people and contacts. One person was very flamboyant. One person was very sociable and he promised the world and he would overpromise and he forgot the promises he made. So people would come back and say, hey, your business partner made this promise. Can we have it? He's like, we don't promise that. And so the person who can attract the people made too many big promises. We also have a look at how you deal with the pace and the consistency in the environment. And businesses today are a relationship game. You can't have single serving relationships in business. You can't have a one night stand anymore. You need customers (laughs) for life. So when you build your business, you can't build it on somebody who likes to have one night stands. You've got to marry your customers and you've got to stay with them for life. And so we looked at who had this strength and the person who was sitting at the back, we said, if you're going to build this successful business, you're the type of person who can get into a relationship And you can stay in a relationship for a long time. This is a relationship-based business you've got to lead. And then we had a look at how they dealt with policy and compliance. One of the business owners hated the details. He was still using pen and paper. He wouldn't pass on messages to anybody. So they're always playing catch-up. They're always paying for their mistakes. Where the other person was great at building policies and procedures and systems. And we said, at this stage of the business, you need to go out the front. And because they had emotional intelligence, they looked at one another and said, you know what, this is not an ego game. This is a game of getting the right people on the bus and getting them in the right seats. And now what's happened, they went from new business owners and they were end up being in the top 20 in their state. Wow. They went from the top 20 in their state to the number one CEOs. And everybody else in the franchise, 800 other people said, we got the same franchise, but how did you get to the front? <laughs> Now, they came to me to learn NLP, but they said to people, we learned emotional intelligence. Mm. And when we hire people, we're looking for emotionally intelligent people. We're looking for people who know their strengths and appreciate that they have a weakness. Mm. We have a look at people who can get along with people, who can be persuasive. And so they've built their business around emotional intelligence. When I met them, they had seven employees. Today, they have 24. During the middle of the crisis, what are they doing? They call me up and say, Daniel, we want our people to become more emotionally intelligent. Because if they're more emotionally intelligent, they're going to keep the relationships with the customers. Yeah. Their competitors are closing their doors. They've got their doors open and they're getting all the business.
0: Uh, and this uh, is a
1: beautiful example.
0: Uh, and what sort of uh, industry were they in? Because you mentioned about kind of franchising. Were they, in, were they a part of a
1: chain? Real estate. Real estate okay.
0: yep. Very cool. Very
1: cool. From 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 the bottom to the top of eight hundred, just so, in a couple of years.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! Now, I, one of the things that I wanted to ask you actually was, I guess one of the fears that a lot of small businesses have, a lot of entrepreneurial small businesses have, is the hiring of new team members or that even their first hire, right? That you you know the whole kind of oh they're going to steal my ideas and. Uh, all of the negativity that goes around things. Mm-hmm. But you've already highlighted that the fact that research studies suggest that someone that has high EQ is going to be by far perf- high performing than someone that doesn't have high EQ. You've already kind of said that. But what is there anything, any advice that you have for business owners or entrepreneurs with regards to the interview process pre and post interview process. Are there anything that they can do in order to make sure that they get the right hire at the right time? Because I know that a lot of business owners, especially if, they have an, if they're a solopreneur and they're thinking about expanding their team, right? And they're worried about if they get it wrong, right? And, and that's the reason why I see so many business owners, they get stuck at a certain point. You've seen this, Dan, right? They get stuck at a certain point and they never move forward. They're always at kind of 80 plus capacity, but they're scared about kind of taking their first salesperson on or their first admin person on. So I'd, I'd love to know what your advice or insights on that is.
1: Hire slow and fire mm. fast. One of the things is people hire to solve a problem. The problem with that is you become desperate. I've got a problem, got to solve it, need a solution. Anybody will do. Yeah. But in my opinion, about 99% of your businesses, and uh, nothing personal to you, Adam, uh, the uh, 99% of the problems in business come with hair on top. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what happens is worldwide, if you make a hiring mistake, the cost to your business is five to seven times that person's annual salary. Mm. So if you hire the wrong person and you're paying them 50,000 quid, Mm -hmm. that hiring mistake is gonna cost your business 250,000 quid, hire slow. So we do a process called job matching. And instead of creating a job description and then forcing somebody into that mold, we sit down and we ask ourselves the question, if we were to build a robot to do this job, What would the qualities of the robot have? How would it approach problems and challenges? How would it approach people and context? How would it deal with the pace and the consistency of the environment? How would it deal with policies and contracts? So we, first of all, would dissociate and get rid of all of our biases. And we say, well, if we were to build a robot, what would we want in it? Mm -hmm. Most people say, well, I like this person over here. Let's force them to do the role. But it's about job matching so what you want is somebody who fits a job and they're a perfect match for them they go straight into performance but if you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole it's very stressful you use all of your energy and you damage something first of all you damage yourself because what happens is you know you've made a bad mistake but what happens is you keep trying to push that square peg in the round hole now my friends in turkey have a great saying. They say, it doesn't matter how far you've gone down the wrong path, turn around and go back. But what happens is people go, you know what, I've hired the wrong person, bugger it, it's too much effort, they can just stay and I'll deal with the head noise. Mm -hmm. But in job matching, we decide what is the perfect person to fit that job and then we go out and we look for people who fit the job. Mm -hmm. We show them what's expected and then we see if they fit the job. Because if they fit the job, there is no stress and they go straight to performance. Mm. And if you can hire right at the start, you can have a longevity of 10 and 20 years out of one person. So we believe about understanding what the job requires at the start. We have a look at what motivates somebody. There's three types of motivators. We have biological motivators. Everybody this morning, you would have slept in until you needed to go to the bathroom. When nature calls, motivation. We then have extrinsic motivation, and this is the carrot and the stick. Now, carrot and stick motivation works for commission-based roles, but it doesn't tend to work for most people. So what's the stick? You can't hit me with a stick anymore. What's the carrot? Most people want a wage, and that's not motivating. See, what I've learned is that if you increase somebody's salary, if you doubled somebody's salary, the motivation would stick around for 60 minutes. They <laughs> you know, go into their bad habits again after 60 minutes. So, we're looking for intrinsic motivators. What is this person intrinsically compelled to do? And if we can find somebody who matches the job intrinsically, they will go, I love this, and they'll perform. Now, I've seen this. I helped uh, one of our family businesses find a chief uh, operational officer. We found the perfect person for the role. Mm-hmm. This person went into the role and helped the company save. A million dollars and make a million dollars in the first six months. Wow! And she's happy as Larry. She loves it. And so, always find people using the Swan formula. So, let me break it down. You want people who are smart. You got to have people who are intelligent. You got to have people who are emotionally intelligent. You got to have people who work hard. Don't think that you can change somebody. 65% of people's characteristics are fixed and it's not going to change. I don't care how good your water bowl is. I don't care how much salt you put in their food. Mm. They won't change. You've got to find people who are ambitious. People who are ambitious will overcome obstacles. And then finally, you want people who are nice. You want people who you'd actually bring home and trust around your children. And so if you follow the SWAN formula, smart, works hard, ambitious, and nice – and you help them find a job that matches their unique personality, they will love you. They'll love themselves. They'll love their life and they'll love the job. And then what will happen is they'll boost your business. Nice. Just out of curiosity, do you recommend, because I know that there's a lot of, uh,
0: what do you call it, um, so-called tests like uh, personality testing, disc training, Myers-Briggs, all of that kind of stuff. Do you recommend anyone uh, make a, I, I take a test before hiring or whatever it is, or would you just, from your perspective, do you think it's just a matter of right, asking the right questions in order to find the right people?
1: I believe in using science today because mm. what happens is, as the business owner, what I've learned is that our, we make more decisions in a year than our grandparents did in their lifetime. Agreed. There's so much red tape today. Your business is only one error away from failing. And so you can't risk your business by trying to figure it out yourself. I've seen people make hiring mistakes through their biases. And what tends to happen is the business owner says, well, if I could just get another Daniel, if I could just get another Adam, my business would double. That's not the case. I don't want another Daniel in my business because Daniel doesn't follow instructions. Daniel is arbitrary. Daniel makes it up as he goes. He's he's a a hunter, he's not a farmer. So you need to find people complementary. So our bias is to hire people like us, but that's a failing formula. So what I do with my clients is we trust in science. We have a look at their personality characteristics to make sure they're a fit for the job. Because if I hire the wrong person, now I've got to deal with it. And we know it costs five to seven times their annual salary. So for the small investment of a couple of hundred quid, You could have the best insurance policy you've ever bought because what i say to my clients i say hire the good ones and let the wrong ones go and ruin your competitions business (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's
1: a good one that's a good strategy (laughs) so yeah it's worth it um i have my clients take behavioral based assessments we have motivational based assessments but we also actually measure their dna we have a look at their soft skills we measure 25 soft skills because not all soft skills are useful. You might have a soft skill like leadership that's overdeveloped, mm. but you're not in the leadership role. So what you'll tend to do is you'll try to lead everybody, but that's not what the role requires. Mm-hmm. And so it's about predicting what people are going to do when they're in the workplace. Yeah. Emotional intelligence. We can measure their emotional intelligence and all of these things are big predictors of success. So absolutely.
0: Nice. Very cool. I guess my, I guess my next question is all around. Okay. So You've sold me into uh, EQ, essentially. You've sold me emotional intelligence, right? But ha- where do I need to, or where do our listeners need to start in terms of improving our EQ skills? Where do, what is it that we need to pra- practice on a daily basis? Where do we, where, where, uh, do, where did you start?
1: Well, I'm going to sell you and I out of a job, Adam. I'm going <laughs> to tell them exactly what they can do. And it's no secret. You've got to become a coach in your own life. Mm. The, your... Have experiences every single day, but what happens is people don't stop to think. There's an old saying that a a life that is not observed is a life not worth living. So what we've got to do is we've got to learn to stop. And at the end of every experience, uh, like today, after we get off this call, uh, I'm going to do the same exercise. After every experience, we stop and we ask ourselves, "What did I do right?" And when you ask yourself what you did right, you reflect on what you've done. You go, wow, I did this right. I did that right. I did that right. And what happens is as you look at all the things that you do right, you program those success patterns back into your subconscious mind. And it didn't cost you a cent. It was free. And so you look at it and say, what did I do right? What most people do, Adam, is they say, where did I screw it up? What did I do wrong? And the problem with saying, what did I do wrong? Where did I screw it up? You reflect on that and future intent to to, Determines present action. So, if you look at all the things that you've done wrong, you're just going to repeat that again.
0: But isn't that like so the hum- first thing you do nat- is just
1: stop? Isn't that like natural human behavior?
0: Because normally, that's like for, from my perspective, and this is just my personal opinion. You know, when we when we start to analyze and we start to assess our internal being, especially in terms of our productivity and things like that, the first thing we're thinking is, "What did I?" Like you mentioned, "What did I do wrong? What What do I? What, why Why didn't I didn't do this? And blah blah blah." I just, I'm, I'm kind of confused about why people do that to themselves. It's like self sabotaging themselves, right?
1: Have you, have you got a pen there? Yeah, I'm, I'm writing notes, so it's all good. <laughs> write this down, write down the number 100, 148,000. By the time you're 18, you have heard the word no, you've been told what you've done wrong hundred and forty eight thousand times so it's been programmed into us through our mums and dads through our Mm. teachers through our grandparents through our uncles and aunties through the police through society they tell us everything we've done wrong and the reason why we do this is because we're an organism and as an organism we've only been designed to survive that's it and what do we do to survive we avoid danger don't cross the road Yep. don't drive fast don't stand on the edge. Don't try something new. You might lose your ego. You might get embarrassed. So habitually, we're just trained to ask, well, what did I do wrong? How did I screw it up? Because that's all I know. So we stop and we say, well, what did I do right? And it's a very hard thing to do because people go, well, I don't know. And so this is the power of coaching because the coach looks over the shoulder. The coach sits at 40,000 feet and he said, well, you did that right. You did that right. You did that right. And then you go, I did do it right. So you program this back into your subconscious mind. The second question is the most important thing. You then look at it again and you say, what will I do differently next time? And see the presupposition here in the language, what will I do differently next time? One, it presupposes that there is a future. Remember I said before, most people, their futures have been wiped away. Hmm. But if you say, what will I do differently next time? It assumes that you're going to get this opportunity again in the future. Right. Well, I do this, I do that differently. And what happens is you put all these positive commands into your subconscious mind and we are driven 95% of what's subconscious, 95% of what we do is habitual. So if you program your subconscious mind to repeat success habits, you'll become more successful.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's a, I, I, I absolutely, and it's, it's the same with anything, you know, I mean, you know me, I, I, I was a formerly athlete and the more that you're told something, your coach or whatever it is, and the more, and and it works in sports psychology so well. So the more that you tell yourself that you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you, and you keep repeating yourself, and it's the same with goal setting, right? You know, a lot of people that, that I guess have massive success in their, in their life and their business, the more that they say things like positive self-talk all the time really helps, really, I guess, gr- helps you grow as a person. But more importantly, I guess it helps you go leaps and bounds more than anything else, right?
1: The secret about it, people have to understand this, like when you wake up and you understand that this is the truth is that your mind doesn't know the difference between something that you've vividly imagined and something that's actually happened. It doesn't know the difference. So if you keep putting these pictures in the mind of you becoming successful, we have this thing that's called a dynamic tension. And the unconscious mind stretches and stretches, and it says, you keep telling me that you're successful. You Mm -hmm. keep telling me you're doing these wonderful things. I keep seeing these pictures in my mind that you're doing wonderful things. And all of a sudden, this elastic band type thing in the mind snaps and says, well, it must be the truth. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to produce behaviors based on that picture in your mind. Right. That picture is coupled with an emotional state. And this is why emotional intelligence is important. You can see yourself succeeding in the future while simultaneously having a fear of failure. And what happens is that people go, oh, I feel like I've got an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. This one says <laughs> I'll never do it. This one says it does. What do I do? But it's based on the picture in your mind, the feeling that you have in your body, your emotion and your physiology. And that generates your behaviors. Wow. Fantastic. This is, I mean, this is a
0: fascinating conversation. We could probably pretty much talk for hours, couldn't we, and and stuff like that. But I'd love to know because I know that you're working on some really fascinating things in the digital space and whatever it is. But what are you working on right now?
1: One of the projects I'm working on at the moment is a project called 100xDNA. And 100xDNA is all about accelerating and multiplying our performance. There's Mm -hmm. four key areas in our life. We have relationships. We have our careers and our businesses, we have our health and fitness, and we have our finances. And for us to perform at our peak, what we have to do is we have to have all of these areas of our life in balance. So 100xDNA is learning how do we accelerate our personal success. Now, my father was in construction and he told me something, he said, Daniel, how do you know the height of the building? How do, you, how do you know how big this building is going to be? And I said, Dad, I've got no idea. He said, well, son, what you do is you look at the foundations. And he says, you have a look at how deep those foundations go. And I said, why? And he said, because that will tell you how high that building is going to be. So when you start to work on personal success, you start to build these solid, deep foundations. You start to eliminate and neutralize your fears. Fears of failure, fear of success, fear of the unknown, fear of abandonment. I had a client recently, she said, Daniel, I don't know if my clients want to buy from me or they just want my products. And I said, well, what if they just want your products? And she said, well, I would never work with them. And it all came down to her having a fear of rejection. She wanted people to like her so much that she would even stop selling her product. Now, that's a very shallow foundation. You can't build a big business on top of that. Great. So 100xDNA is about making these solid foundations for you to launch from and accelerate and multiply your performance. And uh, we have 740 people in our program here yeah. in Asia, yeah. Yeah. and it's kicking off. It's, it's incredible.
0: Fantastic. So, um, listen, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I literally, I'm, I'm fascinated by the subject, and, you know, and, and I think it's just uh, – you know, it's just such a, you know, just such a minefield about where you can take emotional intelligence and what you can do with it and how it can be applied in so many different, in your life and in your business, right? And I, and I just love that. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on the Game Changers Experience Show today.
1: My pleasure. It's a, um, it's nice to be able to share this. Um, my mum asked me one day. She said, Daniel. Uh, you're a paper boy, but why do you donate half of your income? <laughs> you know, you make two dollars and you give a dollar away to the Salvation Army. I said, Mum, I just want to help people. Yeah. And when I was young, I wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't want to give people needles. But now I found emotional intelligence. I realise that I can help people heal themselves, heal their businesses by becoming more emotionally intelligent, and and I love it. And the transformation is incredible. Awesome. So, guys, I hope that you
0: have enjoyed today's show feel free to connect with uh, Daniel on Facebook and the link is obviously uh, below as well. You know, I just want to say, guys, what I was going to say is we've got also some amazing people coming up on the next up and coming shows as well. And also extremely, well, very, very soon as well, also going to be increasing our shows, which is I'm super excited about that. So I'll be making some awesome announcements. So make sure that you have, if you have the opportunity feel free to also become part of the Game Changers Experience Facebook group as well, where you can have build relational capital. But more importantly, as to help uh, is to be plugged and played into some of the amazing events and some stuff that we got up and coming. So isn't just want, just want to say, hope that you've enjoyed today's show. Feel free to uh, share this podcast to many others that you're listening to and see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys. I just want to say thank you so much